Alright everyone, welcome to, or if you're one of the awesome people listening to episode one, welcome back. Episode two. Passing times, we've made it this far, it's episode two. My name's Josh Nickel, joined by Dallas Keith. Good, you? Good, you? What's new, Dallas? Oh, I don't even know where to begin, there's so much to talk to. On uh, today's agenda, we have... Well, we're going to talk about World Championship Trials, we'll explain how Canada has a bid into the championship. Uh, we'll talk about the Pan Am Watch to see who's going to go to Peru this summer. Talk about Edmonton Three Star because FIV Volleyball is back in Canada on the beach side, which is awesome. And then uh, we'll see how friendly we get, but you and I are going to debate the star system that the FIV has had since after Rio. So 2017, I guess, would have been the first season. We'll talk about the good, the bad, the different, and take it from there. Anything else that comes up. So, World Championship Trials. So because of Canada's ranking within Norseka, we're given an automatic bid to World Championships. So World Championships are going to be this summer in Hamburg. Uh, each country is a maximum of four. There may be up to six Germany teams, but for, for the big stuff, the Canadian stuff, it's four teams. Uh, one of those being the bid we just awarded. So let's get into it, Dallas. Uh, on the women's side, Megan and Nicole McNamara, I, let's just pop off here. I don't even know how long it's been, but it feels like they haven't lost in Canada in 26 years. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> however long it's been. It's been a while. The last thing I can think of was them in Van Open. They won that. They won Canadian Nationals this past year. They just won FISU Trials. They won World Championship Trials. I think the last time that I can remember them losing is they took a silver at Canada Games, would have been two or three cycles ago, to Sophie Bukovic and Ali Woolley. Yeah. But Megan and Nicole answered the bell by winning Senior Nationals that year. Um, it's a give and take. Yeah, so they, they've obviously represented Canada at every major youth youth event and, and medal that whether it be you know uh, a u21 or fisu games youth olympics youth olympics uh and they and they showed that they're ready for the adult game by taking a fourth in mexico to three star last year and a fourth and a one star last year so as well. they're they're definitely ready to go uh obviously crushing at ucla and the ncaa but uh ncaa champions well what the good news was at trials was well, well credit to them first of all they played the day before yeah and had to fly back and play the day after but during trials uh, Taylor Pischke and Sophie Vukovic, they played a, a very entertaining final and pushed them to 18 and 19, which are two of the closest set scores I think I've seen against uh, Megan and Nicole in a long time. So yeah. it, it shows that the Canada has more up-and-coming teams on the women's side, but I, I think when we talk about the next gen on the women's side, it, it's Megan and Nicole and then everybody else. And everybody talks about Brandy and Heather and Mel and Sarah, and as they should, right? They're one and two in the world, and this is an amazing time, especially in Canadian beach volleyball, to, to witness history, but... It's also great to see the depth that we have, uh, especially on the women's side. You know, let's let's not take anything away from Megan and Nicole. They have a world championship themselves. They won the FISU Games last year in, in Germany. So, I mean, they're on a big winning streak in Germany, and I really hope that uh, they continue to do big things there. And what I really like about them is, is anyone who watched the finals, is just the, the joy they have. Like, they know what a big deal it is to go to Worlds where... A team like that, like, it's never enough. They win nationals, well, that's not enough. They followed up by winning, like uh, like you said, FISU games in Germany. That That's not enough. Now they're going to world championships, and they're going to have a placement there. And you know what? That's not going to be enough. They're going to be a main draw team before, and then they're going to go to the Olympics, and that's not enough. Then they're going to win the Olympics, and that's not going to be enough. Like, they just find a way to stay motivated, stay determined. Great team to watch. Yeah. Uh, on the men's side, a little bit of... You can't call it an upset because we could have guessed the final. It was just like 50-50 which side you were going. But it, it shows on the senior side of the guys that uh, because of their world ranking that we'll get into in a second, uh, basically all the top Canadian teams were there and played and battled it out. And your thoughts on that? 
Ben Saxton and Grant O'Gorman taking it down. Yeah, big shout out to Ben and Grant. Um, love those guys. Love Sam and Sam too. But uh, it's very interesting to see. Um, off the top of my head, you can see the majority of, of big trials. It seems that the team with the lower world ranking seems to win. You want to look at the Olympic trials in London. Um, on both the men and the women's side, the lower seed won. Um, not so much in uh, the Rio bid, but this one here, I mean, it's a good redemption win um, for Grant and, and Ben, and, and I'm really happy for them, and uh, it's good to see that uh, as a team, they're they're moving forward and, and progressing upward, and, you know, credits to them too, they have to get on a plane and, and come to, to, to Toronto to play. Um, not many people think that's a big deal i think you know a, a domestic trials there isn't uh there isn't a lot of, of travel but ben and grant credit to them got on a what a six and a half hour flight from vancouver to toronto to come and play and and they showed everybody why uh why there's such a threat and and let, let's clarify the reason this is semily at, at upset semily that's a word now uh would be one the world rankings you heard it here first semily and second of all would be ben and grant's did not qualify for Doha. They lost in the second round of the qualifier where Sam and Sam beat Evandro and Bruno. Yeah, like, big win. Really also. battled it out to take a top 10 finish, getting a ninth at that event. So so the recency bias and the world ranking kind of says, you know what, Sam and Sam are probably the team who should come away with this tournament. But uh, I know a lot of people complain that it wasn't indoor trials, but indoor beach volleyball is a great equalizer. And I think that showed with a lot of the scores with the next-gen teams that even though we have two teams ranked in the top 25, a lot of teams... For our next gen group, who haven't haven't really stamped their their arrival on the world tour by qualifying for main draws, we're able to push them with some set scores here, and it really showed that you know what if, if you're training full time and, and you're on the world tour stage, you got a shot. Absolutely, and you know what? Uh, I wish nothing but uh, success for Sam and Sam too. Right? A lot of people don't know right now in their world ranking, they've actually also qualified through the top twenty four bid of the world championship. So they're ranked twenty third in the world right now. So uh, I mean. It is close, but uh, I, I, I wish them a ton of success in, uh, in Jamin and the four-star coming up. I hope they put up a good result so they keep climbing up the world ranking and they get a little more breathing room on, uh, on that qualifying list. So let's, let's clarify for the listeners who don't have time to read all the FIV rules and try to figure this out. So the deadline is May 6th. So essentially there is a four-star uh, in China and there's also a three-star for some other teams to get some points that might shuffle the deck. But basically... The top 23 teams in the world will get an automatic entry into World Championships given that there is a max of four teams per country or six for Germany. So if you're from a, a superpower that has four teams in, say, the top 15, well, if you're ranked 20th in the world, you don't get to go. Yeah, Brazil, so, Poland. So there is a country quota component, but like like Dallas just said, Pedro and Schachter can still qualify based on the world ranking. Saxon O'Gorman can also, I think mathematically, if you take a ninth or even a fifth in China, they can increase their ranking to be in the top 23, which then means Canada's bid would go to Jake McNeil and Will Hoey, who finished third at the trial. So that was a very meaningful third-fourth match because they know if they finish third, they at least have a shot going to Worlds, looking over their shoulders and saying, all right, like the top two teams are in the final, but this is still a meaningful bronze medal game at our trials. So, I mean, if I was Jake and Will, I'd be rooting for a, a 1-2 finish and Jamin for Sam and Grant. Well, for both, yeah, what I mean is for both teams, right? Sam and Sam and Grant and Ben. If I was Will and Jake, I'd get that world championship bid if they keep uh, climbing the rankings. So it's exciting. On the women's side, as we mentioned, uh, Bansley Wilkerson and Pavan Himana Paredes have already stamped it. They're, they're going. So we have three out of four 
of our spots claimed on the women's side, which is awesome. On the guys' side, we have one for sure that could go to as high as three based on a good result in China. So, Canada. 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 So that's, that's the exciting news on the World Championships. The next one that we kind of have an internal trials going on for, well, not a trials, this one's kind of a race to who can have the best four results by June 16th is for Pan American Games. So again, thanks to Canada's international ranking, we have an automatic bid in Pan Am Games in Peru this summer. The rules are, the way I understand it, from January 1st to June 16th of this year, best four results, you're going. Norseekas don't count. It's got to be a one, two, three, four, or five-star result. Right now, let's get into it because this is this is getting heated. Let's start on the guy's side. It's a little bit more cut and dry, but it's it's going to take some details. But Mike and Aaron right now are kind of holding that spot, but there's some people on their heels. There's people knocking at the door for sure. And just to clarify, Norseka is the continental federation that Canada is a part of. So when you're taking in your world ranking um, for the FIVB, they do use continental points as well. So you get FIVB points through continental competitions. But for whatever reason, the Pan Am Games, which is essentially a continental position, doesn't use continental points. So, I mean, that's a bit confusing when you talk about that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Nussbaum Plantinga have the spot right now. That's assuming that um, Ben and Grant and Sam and Sam decline the berth. Thank you for clarifying that. So they, they could and most likely will decline the berth because we're in an Olympic qualifying stage and Pan Am Games do not count towards your Olympic ranking. Yep. Uh, and during the same time as Peru, I think they miss one for sure, if not two, because of the travel back and to uh, a four-star. So yeah. they'd, they'd be leaving some points on the table if they do choose to go. On the other hand, it is experience in a multi-sport games. Uh, they'd be guaranteed in the tournament, so the number of matches against good competition. So, yeah, you're right. I don't want to speak for them, so the bid would probably go to either Pedro Schachter or Saxon O'Gorman first. If they decline, the next team up then would be, at this moment in time, Nassau yeah. Platinka. Because it is an Olympic qualification, we're just going to go ahead and assume that that the bid is going to go to the, the Canada 3 team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's good. Mike and Aaron had a good result in Sydney. They qualified for the main draw there, and beat, uh, they beat an Olympian there. They beat uh, Alex Rangieri, and, uh, I mean, Mike put up some, some good defense. I mean, it's a very scrappy team. Aaron's a really, um, you know, he's a former partner of mine. We went to a World Championships together in Poland. Uh, you know, Aaron's got a lot of international experience. I mean, he's been playing age group world championships since he was 16, 17 years old, mm -hmm. uh, multiple age group world championship medalist, a bronze in uh, Croatia, and a silver medal in Croatia as well, actually, both of them being at UMAG. Um, so, I mean, he has a ton of experience. Him and Aaron, Aaron sorry, Aaron and Mike together have a, a, a Norseka win, so... I mean, these guys know what they're doing, and, and they're the team uh, who's sort of in line to, to get the bid, and it's tough now because with such a condensed sort of deadline with the qualification and having teams out there knocking out their boots, they really need to make some big choices in terms of, of what tournaments they go to. Do they play it safe and, and take the lesser tournament main draw, or do they go for broke and, and go into these qualifiers uh, at four-star, five-star events? Yeah, it feels like it's almost at a point where if they go to a four-star and qualify and win one match within the main draw, that'll be enough points to really increase some space on the other teams. But credit to the one that jumps out of my mind, Grabowski-Wheelan, who have medaled already, 
and they've taken a fifth. Uh, obviously not at anything higher than a two-star right now that they've put up these results, right? Um, but they, they've made it interesting where they're, they're causing some decisions from Nassim Platinga about what they're going to do with the rest of their schedule. So, and we'll see what Wheel and Grabowski do the rest of the time here because they have until June 16th, which includes for them some choices if they want to go to a four-star or if they want to go to a three- or a two-star and kind of... Is it better to go deeper in a tournament and try to get those points, or is it better to go all in at a big one and, and kind of play your chances? Yeah, just a side note, I think very rarely do we celebrate success, so I just want to give a big shout-out to Sergey and Cam. They medaled at an international event, and you can't take that away. You don't want to hear anything, oh, it was a one-star. No, you know what? Those one-star qualifiers can be deadly. I mean, you don't know what teams are going to be there, especially in an environment like India, the heat, the conditions, so... I mean, we haven't gotten a, a World Tour medal from the men's side since Sydney. The two-star when Ben and Grant won. So big shout-out to Sergey and Cam for that, for that bronze medal. And, and Sergey admitted that was a tournament they thought they could win. And when he saw the guy not check the trophy but bring it onto the airplane as his carry-on, you know, I think that fired Sergey up a little bit that uh, you can be the big shooter on the airplane bringing on whatever the, the prize is at the tournament, whether it's a trophy or some events like it's the cowbell or... The hat, or, yeah. yeah. So you can you can feel like a rock star a little bit by oh I you know I can't check this I don't want to lose my trophy. So I think Sergey's he's gunning for the trophy at the next one, for sure. Uh, and and to build on our world's trials comments earlier, uh, McNeil Hoey are definitely not out of it. There's definitely four tournaments or more left, so they can still turn it on. They're starting to to fire it up a little bit. They've gone to some international events, maybe haven't got the results they wanted, but the way they played this week in Toronto, uh, I wouldn't count them out either. So. That, that's the race on the men's side. On the women's side, it gets a little interesting because, again, the the knee-jerk reaction would be, oh, the McNamara's are probably going to go because, you know, Heather and Brandy and Sarah and Melissa probably don't want to go to Pan Am Games based on, you know, Olympic qualifying, blah, blah, blah. We covered this. Uh, but Megan and Nicole are in school in the NCAA, and they don't have their championship until the May 4th, 5 weekend, wherever that lands on. And then, obviously, exams and things. So they have about a month of qualifying to do. So... They're, they're under a little bit of time pressure where maybe they have enough points to get into a four-star, but they have to perform right away because they only might get four tournaments total at this, uh, where right now MC and Amanda, so the point Harnett, uh, they've taken a main draw result at a four-star. They've got a, they've got out a pool at a three-star. They took a 17th, and I think they have a fifth at a two-star. So they've kind of showed that they're in the race. And then uh, Bukovic Pishki took a ninth in Sydney. So they only have the one result right now as a team, but... It's a top 10 and a three-star. So the women's side, it really comes down to who's going to be playing their best and what tournaments everybody's able to go to down the stretch here. And for whatever reason, Megan and Nicole aren't... I think they graduated. Like they're done in classes. So right now they're just playing at UCLA. Oh, that's a fun fact. Yeah, fun fact of the day. So, I mean, they're, they're battle-tested. They're ready. But uh, because of the Pan Am structure and the, the scheduling and, and the timing... They basically, the qualification process goes by date. It doesn't even go by FIVB points. Because if we're going to go by FIVB points, I'm pretty sure the Twins are locked in at, at Canada 3. And you'd think would be an automatic bid. But I think the women's side has got a big draw because Taylor Pischke went to the Pan Am Games when they were held in Toronto in 2015. So you have a, a player who knows what the qualification process is like, who, who got a fourth there. Um, but I think the door is wide open because the possibility of so many teams performing at, at different levels. I mean, Amanda and MC have played a, a high volume to start the year, and and they, uh, you know, Josh was saying they have a they have some main draw results. But again, in in Sydney, Sophie and Taylor getting a top ten finish. 
I think that's been their only international competition so far. Um, so I think we, we're playing the game right now, quantity versus quality, um, and we'll see. I mean, I I don't think I can I don't think I can make a choice of who I think the women's representative will be for for Mexico in the Pan Am Games. I think as soon as LA got canceled, because that was kind of right at the end of the NCAA season, so it made sense that two two athletes going to UCLA could obviously play in that one. As soon as that one got canceled, it got really really interesting where. Again, they probably have the points to go to a four-star, but they're going to have to win games early and, and be under a little bit of a time crunch where Taylor, Sophie, uh, MC, and Amanda have been able to play and play on their schedule right off the bat here. So Yeah, it's tough, too. I mean, you have three tournaments in the FIVB original schedule that got canceled. I mean, you had Florida, you had Texas, and you had LA, which was all canceled. So... I think the door's wide open for, for Pan Ams. It'll be interesting to check in. It, you know what? And it's fun because it, uh, it makes things interesting. And uh, to follow the results is going to be great. So best of luck to whoever qualifies. And uh, from someone who's been to a multi-sport games, I mean, it's a lot of fun. There's, uh, there's so much more to, to, to it than just a beach volleyball tournament. I think the, the pride you have when you, when you represent your country is big, but the pride you share when you play together it's great and you get to meet a lot of people right like you listen to people talk about who they who they live with and it's you know they put up a golfer a rock climber a beach volleyball player and a soccer player in the same sort of residency i mean the stories i mean i can't speak i never had any of that stuff but uh i'm sure it's a lot of fun rock climbing at the phantom games you think so it's an olympic hey olympic (laughs) sport now sport climbing you heard it here first. Okay, well. I'm, well, I'm sure you heard it here second, or the third, or fourth, but sport climbing, which is a discipline of rock climbing, is now an Olympic sport in Tokyo, along with skateboarding and the return of softball baseball. I'll, I'll give you the softball baseball one. I, the, the skateboarding and rock climbing one makes me just want to, like, ball up my fist and go, ooh, millennials, ooh, ruining everything. <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to make my big comeback in razor scooting, and that's uh, that's going to be my Olympic sport that I didn't. Uh, well, I didn't qualify for beach volleyball, but razor scooting—that's my thing. So, anyway, speaking of segways, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to follow up, because sometimes I, I do this, we glance over the volleyball rules where maybe there's people listening to the show that were their introduction to volleyball, so we should cover this once again. Canada has an automatic bid into Pan Am. One awesome thing about the Canadian system right now is we play for everything. We don't usually nominate a team and say, you get to go, but you don't get to go over there. So we, well, we, we play used for to do it. it, but we switched it, I think, in what, 2013, 2014? I, I like it. I like the chance that teams get to compete for it. I mean, we are a sports organization, so it's better to let the results speak and kind of have an inclusive model where very evaluation friendly. You had more points than you did during this time period, so you get to go. Yeah, it's hit and miss for me. I mean, I've been on... On both ends, I've been, uh, when I played, I had a selection bid to a world championships where I didn't win the tournament, but uh, the federation selected me with, with another player to go. And I had another experience where I wasn't necessarily ready to come back to be game ready because of a shoulder surgery. And because of the structure and because of the, the new way the trials were run, I was forced to play. So when I went to Worlds in 2014, in Poland, we won as Canada 2, and I was not ready to play uh, coming back from a shoulder surgery, I think, eight months post-op to play the trials. So I'm a bit jaded, but uh, you know what? It, it does lend itself to to the team who shows up that day, gets the bid, and I, you know, I always love the saying, you can't fault someone for winning a tournament, 
and you can't take that away from someone because you know what? They were there the best day and they performed and, and that's it. Yeah, so I, I guess to explain further, because I, I guess I glanced over this again, there are tournaments where we'll do, say the World's Thing was a two-day tournament, you got to win that. Yeah. Pan Am is from January 1st to June 16th, so there is a bit of a window that you kind yeah, of Yeah, and I think plan. that's that's more more my speed, especially for like a senior multi-sport games. I think that qualification, it's it's sort of etched in stone, and everybody knows the the way to do it. And I don't, you know, there's there should be no arguments in terms of who should go because everything was spelled out this is how you qualify these are the dates everything's here i mean if you want to qualify put up the results proofs in the pudding proofs in the pudding awesome Let, let's switch gears here let's get fired up you you've experienced what it's like to play for canada in canada more teams are gonna have that chance to do it so we're back on the map edmonton is hosting a three-star shout out to the big shooter himself john may is on board as one of the promoters uh, so that event will happen this July, and I'm excited. They've, it looks like they've talked in some top teams where, I, I mean, with our Canadian system, what, they have 33 days to sign up. But if you look at the early entry list, there's already some names on there that everyone's going to be a blast. And on a recent Facebook post, can confirm Ben and Grant will be there. And it's extra special because uh, Ben Saxon went to university in Edmonton, playing for the University of Alberta. So he'll have a little uh, a little hometown reunion there so the the real dilemma here is obviously our players want to play in canada they want to play in front of family and friends but for this one edmonton is a three star and they're giving up a chance to play in a four star in espino which comes down again to the olympic qualifying but it, it shows how much ben and grand and some other teams really value the, the hometown experience so obviously ben being i think the most established alberta born uh beach player it's great that he's going to be there but I, i've heard rumors of melissa and sarah are going to also play at edmonton they're on the registration list as of now so can you can you just go into your experience of what the community was like, what the environment was like in Halifax when you were there at a, a Youth World Championships? Yeah, so uh, my first FIVB event was a, I guess we'll call it a hometown event, but it was a home country event in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which I live in Toronto. I mean, that's still a three-hour flight for me, but um, it was crazy. I mean, I remember playing in every single game we played was in the stadium in front of a packed house and I think it was like three four thousand people in that stadium and everybody was cheering and you know you're signing posters you have photo shoots the promotion was really good uh, everybody recognizes you walking down the street and then you know we finished in the top 10 there with a tough loss to the USA in, in three and I remember coming back or I guess coming back to Toronto going through the Halifax airport and the customs agent or the one that was patting me down for security putting me through the metal detector turned to me and he goes hey like I watched you play you know what you did a really great job and I was like holy cow like that was it for me being like like people actually care and people really get behind the the hometown guys and you know it uh, it really shows how important sport is in Canada and uh, I'm really excited for Edmonton I think it's going to be great I think there's a lot of volleyball in uh, in the prairie provinces and uh you know, so mu so many good players come from Alberta uh, on the indoor side. It's going to be nice for Ben and Grant, most importantly, to inspire. I mean, any people in volleyball Alberta who have uh, kids playing at the club level, like, you need to get the whole family out there. You need to go and support those guys because this is something that's going to turn full circle. And, and, you know, 10 years from now, when we're talking to the current, when we're talking to future national team guys, they're going to say, "Well, what inspired you to to, to pick up beach volleyball, or, or why are you here?" And they're going to say, "You know what? 
Ben Saxon. I saw him play in Edmonton, and and uh, and that was it for me. I saw how how great this was, and and that's what I hope, right? Like you host these bids, and uh, sorry, you host these tournaments, and you get uh, you get the hometown crowd in there, and you really show everybody what it's all about. So to build on that, the big thing that I think Edmonton is a really good city to host it is, as you touched on it, is the amount of quality players coming from Edmonton. Like U of A on the men's and women's side has been strong for as long as I can remember. Forever. Um, shout out to friend of the show, even if he doesn't want to be, Ray Sewell, where we're <laughs> nominating you as friend of the show. He's done a great job where he's working with uh, Volleyball Alberta, and he's bringing like 20 to 30 to 40 teams to Beach Nationals every year. And I don't think a lot of people grasp like... They have to fly here. They come right. for an extra week of training. There's always an opportunity that they, they hang around the national team and they watch our practices. So there, there's people in the community who are getting all these kids fired up and ready for beach volleyball that now, if he's able to bring 25 teams to Toronto to fly across and, and play in a national championship, how many kids are going to be there to watch and be fired up in their own backyard, right? So Side note, I just thought of the best nickname for Ray Sewell, and I hope he's listening right now and that he demands everybody to call him this. From here on out, we're calling him the Red Razor. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why? Why not? <laughs> Sorry, Ray. <laughs> no, but uh, that's true. I mean, I've... The I've... comments of Dallas Keith do not reflect everyone's opinion on this show. <laughs> no, solely his. Um, no, Ray's a great guy, and, uh, he, you know, he's uh, he's got multiple North Sika medals, and he was on the national team for a long time, and it's really nice to see guys give back uh, to the community, and, and he's done exactly that. I mean, he's in charge of the beach program at Volleyball Alberta, and you see him all the time. He was in Toronto for um, the World Tour Finals and, and growing the game there, and, and he's done a great job, and uh, all jokes aside, you know what, um, he's really doing great things for, uh, for beach volleyball, especially in Alberta. So, once again, that's Edmonton. We're talking three-star, July 17th to 21st. If we look at the team list, which, again, doesn't doesn't mean it's written in stone because we're 99 days out and they have basically till 21 days to announce the list. Uh, but we can see Saxon O'Gorman on the list, Copper Lack, who have thrown their name in the hat, Nasbon Platinga, and on the women's side, Pavin and Melissa Himanafredes are already signed up. We'll see if that holds. I hope it does. I think it will. Uh, and, and we've got some other Canadian teams signed up. Uh, obviously the list, so... For fans out there, you want to look 21 days out. That's when the list comes out. That's when the rankings will be out. But we're excited. I'm excited. Marcus Ferguson's on that list. I'm going to have to fly to Edmonton to kick his ass in Mario Kart again. And the gauntlet's been thrown <laughs> down. That nobody gets that reference except for Dallas and our new friend, Marcus Ferguson. <laughs> and those that listen to episode one of yeah. Passing Dimes. So my mom gets the reference. Uh, <laughs> my mom can't wait to watch our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and just to cover up on the Edmonton thing, I think we we pumped up Halifax, but I think we'd be we'd be missing out if we didn't mention what a great job Quebec City did, uh, 2010, 2011. Yeah, and you know what? When you so I was recent, like I was introduced to beach volleyball through that, and uh, I mean the beach volleyball community in Quebec is really good. They're really inclusive. They really want good volleyball, and. Um, it's unfortunate that they ran into some sponsorship issues with uh, with putting on that event, but you talk to the players, and, and they played the, uh, it was the FIVB Quebec Open at the time, but they played it in Old City, Quebec, and uh, the players loved it, and uh, I remember talking to international players and, uh, and domestic players who just loved being in that environment, and you have to remember, too, for a lot of people, this is their first time coming to the country, right? So... 
when you experience Canada and you see, you know, the, all the old buildings and, you know, the fan support and even the, the multilingual, that's a tough word to say, um, just environment that is Francophone Canada, it's, it's awesome. But, uh, I think the early sign for me there, that was my first experience with uh, international volleyball. The OVA was nice enough to send me for some professional development. Uh, but I remember sitting with Christian Redmond, who obviously was already in the event, but we were just hanging around watching Country Quota on the first day. And he was just looking around, he made a comment, he was just like, do you notice this crowd already on like the first day just for Country Quota stuff? And he's looking around, I was like, I had no reference. He's like, what do you mean? He's just like, I guarantee this place is going to be packed by the time the main draw starts. And, and it was, and it didn't matter if Canada was playing or not. Yeah. People were there to watch volleyball. They had night games. Like people were there to support Dalhouser Rogers were the team at that time. Like it was just there to see high level volleyball and they were there to support everybody. And if a Canadian team was going, because obviously Schachter and Hatch went really far in that one and Bansley Maloney at that time, and that place was going bonkers. I think that was Schachter Hatch's first top 10 finish on tour. Side note, I think Quebec was the first U.S. podium sweep. That might be a pop, but what I, can, I don't think there's been one since. Maybe it was the last time there was a that, USA. We, we were both there, so that was Lucena Furbringer, Rogers Dalhauser, and did Rosenthal Gibb take third? I think they did. I don't remember. But, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, USA podium sweep. And Brazil, did they sweep the podium on the women's side, or at least first I, and second? I think so. We'll have to look that up. Man, we need an intern. We need a fact checker. Yeah, we do. We need a summer student. This is what episode two is here for. If you want to send your summer student intern resumes, please send them to josh at thepassingdimespodcast.com. And when it bounces back, don't be deterred and just send us a message on Instagram. <laughs> All right, and the last thing we're going to cover on episode two here is the star system versus, we'll just call it the old system for lack of a better term, where right now there's a star system ranging from one, two, three, four, and five, five being the highest and highest in terms of prize money and points available. The old system used to be opens and grand slams with a world championship year being obviously the biggest prize money and points available during that era. Uh, also during that era, there was things called challengers and satellites, which tended to be smaller events. Um, we should probably have friend of the show, Christian Redman or Chris Simic on the show because they, Simic Kruger won some medals at the challengers and satellites, like in nice places like Prague and some yeah. other great European countries. So they could probably explain the model of what what those are for but for lack of better understanding by us right now we'll just talk about opens and grand slams yeah compared to the star system right now so at first glance dallas how would you kind of explain this and what are your pros and cons here yeah so when you take it at first glance i think the the biggest pro when you look at the grand slam and open structure of the fiv world tour is that it really shows who the best teams in the world are um with more money and almost less teams, it really, it shows who the best is and um, it really promotes the best to be the best. Um, the flip side of that is that with the one to five star system is it does promote international development. So for a long time, you had continental tours that would run simultaneously with the world tour. Norseka still does that. There's still the AVC in, in Asia and Oceania. But actually, something really cool that the CEV did, which is the governing body for European volleyball, is that they've combined um, one-star events to be congruent with the CEV tour. 
So when I played the CE or when I played the event uh, events in Slovenia and Croatia, they were actually CEV FIVB one star events. So the cool thing about one star and two stars is it really promotes development teams and and younger teams for that matter to get international experience, so that their first sort of glance at international experience isn't necessarily age group world championships. Um, so just at a glance, there's obviously a qualifying system for these tournaments, but at the one star, you have 12 teams that are in the main draw and you have 24 teams that are in the qualifier that 24 turns into four, I believe. Is it as low as 16 in the qualifier? That then it might, yeah, you know what? You're right. Cause 16, eight, four, four. Seems pretty grueling. right. So 24, I think is the main draw for two stars. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. So that's it. So there is. There's 16 teams in the qualifier for one stars because that makes sense. You win two matches from 16 to turn to eight to turn to four. Um, and that's typically lower points because for whatever reason, the prize money, this is a news people, is not very good at one stars. I think first place at a one star is $1,000 American split between two people. So let, let's put that into terms because as Dal said, like it's to grow the sport. So let's say as a Canadian team, you want to fly to Thailand to play in a one star. There is no mathematical way to earn your money back because you're splitting $1,000 American for a week trip to Thailand. Thailand. You better hope you got some airline points. So that that's the tough part of the model. So for me, first glance, the open model, I, I agree with Dallas completely, that it was more competitive because the top teams would play in more open style events where the star system, you're not going to see a top 20 team at a one or a two star event unless their country's hosting and they really want to play in front of their home crowd. There's just... The, the points are lower, the money's lower, it's just not worth it for them to show up at these events unless they are, are the hosting nation. Versus the old model, even like the Quebec Open, there was tons of, of international teams there. Maybe Olympic, people Olympic champions were there. So I think it made it every event a little bit more competitive. Obviously Grand Slams when more points and more money were on the line, those got super competitive. Where in the star system, based on pure volume, there are more tournaments. Like, there you are. can't argue the pure volume, but I think the the top-level tournaments are less where uh, Fort Lauderdale is a perfect example where something happens with the funding and all of a sudden a five-star gets canceled completely. So now I think we're down to... Two five-stars? We're down to two five-stars. Thank goodness it's a world champs year. And obviously, if you count World Tour Finals as a five-star, I guess we're back to that. But we'll, we'll again, let's, let's, let's break some news here. Let's start a conspiracy. I think promoters have figured out that they, they can save some money because it's way cheaper to host a four-star than a five-star. But because of the lack of high-level tournaments, you're going to get the same players. So as a promoter, you're saving yourself money, yeah. but you're able to market and bank on the best teams still being there at your four-star event. Yeah, if you look at the teams, like if you look at the registration and the results over the last, was it three years since they've introduced the star system, apart from a handful of big names, it's the same people, right? Like when I was in Itapima for a four-star, it was... Evandro and Andre, Cantor Loziak, and I don't remember the bronze. I think it would maybe Gutor, Guto Vitor Felipe, but I mean, those are well-established world champion teams. You know, it's, it's crazy to think that those teams aren't also going to be at five stars, but because, like Josh was saying, that there aren't any five stars, you have to make up for it somehow. 
And I think you see that sometimes with top teams even going to a three-star. Like Sydney's draw, there was there was some relevant teams there. There was. That, that they kind of pick and choose their events to go to. So I, I think the old system, yes, there was less events, uh, but I think they were more competitive. Where this, it, it allows more countries to host because maybe, maybe you're a country and you can't afford to host an open tournament because of the prize money and the housing and all the stuff that goes into an event. You can host a one-star that takes three days, four days to complete, uh, obviously, the less the players are there, the less you have to house and feed everybody. So it, it's a more inclusive model as far as the FIV having a goal to host more tournaments. Like, I totally get that. But if we're talking about we want the best caliber tournaments and money's not an issue, then kind of the Grand Slam model worked better. So there's kind of what's best for the players and what's best for the sport versus what's what's the reality of the promoters because we, we kind of brought it up that a one-star, the players can't really earn their money back unless they're local. But at the same time, how does a promoter earn their money back? Because if Passing Dimes wants to host a one-star right now, we probably need seventy-five dollars to $85,000. So I remember the two-star event that I played in Manly. The promoter told me that I think for a federation to host it, it was around a million dollars. To host a two-star? To host a two-star. And man granted, Volleyball Australia did a great job setting it up on Manly Beach. We had, uh, and they did it, they did a big well. They did what they called Volley Fest, where the first week they held a um, a domestic tour event in the same venue that they held the international event. But it was stadium court with four other international courts and then two practice courts. So you know, assembly of the stadium, food, drink, ticket costs, and all that one a million dollars. So I, I'm going to shave some stuff off where we have it on authority from a very good source that a Norseka in Canada cost about $80,000 to host. So obviously Manly did it big and the, the venue stayed up for an extra week. So yeah. I'm going to whittle that down, but I, I think yeah, that's you, need, you need about a hundred grand to do it right, I think. So here's also a fun fact. The first money I made on the FIVB World Tour was from a one star where I came ninth. I don't know if you're ready for this. 100 American dollars. Wow. Wow. Turn pro, kids. Drop out of school right now and <laughs> you, turn pro. <laughs> so, again, that's the big underlying con of this, uh, of this system. Because if you were to take the same place at uh, an Open or a Grand Slam, I think a ninth at an Open was around 3000 And a, a ninth at a Grand Slam was, uh, gosh, twenty. Maybe 16, somewhere along those lines. But obviously a one-star is not going to be the same caliber as an Open or a Grand Slam, so I don't want to hear any stuff about that. But yeah, my first check from the FIVB was a ninth place at the Miguel Pereira one-star for $100. Miguel Pereira, is that Adriana's cousin? Yeah. Is that <laughs> he, he's the mayor, the plumber, the electrician. Well, let, let's get into this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here because I, I work for Ontario Volleyball, and every year we get asked to you know, raise the prize money and do this. You, you can put your player's hat back on. So let, let's, let's use your example of taking a ninth and getting little to no prize money. But what, what do you think is in it for the promoter? Like, let's say Passing Dimes does host a, an international tournament. The Passing Dimes Invitational. And, and we give $100,000 to the winning team. What do you think the return on investment is to the promoter? Because I think that's the tough thing that the FIB is in for is we have this great sport and people want to watch it, but we have this weird niche where people don't want to always pay to watch it or they don't really want to... Like, other, other sports generate revenue through merch and through all this other TV generated, all this other stuff. Where volleyball, we have so much trouble generating revenue. So let's say the OVA Grand Slam this year was $100,000. 
How does the OVA make their money back on that? So it's a very weird system because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you charge, other than world championships and maybe five-star events, um, but I don't think at the lower levels, like the one, two, and three stars, I don't think there's admission prices. I think it's it's free to get in, but I might be wrong about that. So maybe that's it right off the bat. We haven't trained people to pay where you'll pay $15 to watch a bad movie, but you right, want to pay $15 to, to watch, watch world-class athletes. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is is held up in semantics, right? Like, hockey vendor sales are big in terms of, like, food and drink and, and, and size of venue. So I think, especially with the one and two stars, I think because they're smaller tournaments, they require a smaller venue, and you don't have a, as big of a pull with just crowd sizing. Granted, I think I played in one of the biggest one-star events in Brazil where where volleyball and like specifically beach volleyball is one of the one of the biggest sports, but but still you don't have that pull of 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 food and drink and 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 notoriety because you're right. Other than streaming services like Loyola in uh, in Europe, there isn't a lot of of beach volleyball. Other than the AVP, which rarely comes on TV in North America, so I think there needs to be a greater I'll say diversification of media where corporate does want to show the sport because if you look at the Olympics, even ticket sales, they say beach volleyball is the number two best sold sport in the Olympics outside of, I think, soccer or maybe probably athletics. So, I mean, the market's there of, of people that want to watch it and people always say, you know, every four years, oh my God, like indoor volleyball or beach volleyball, it's so great to watch, I love it so much, but it comes back to, well, if you love it, support it, right? It's not good enough to say you love it, you have to show it. Yeah, that this is off topic, but it reminds me of uh, women's hockey, obviously, is getting a lot of press, and, and obviously Hockey Canada and Hockey USA have done a lot of great things in putting on more events, and, and Brian Burke, obviously a very outspoken personality, has basically said, all these people who say they support women's hockey, well, if you do, buy a ticket. Pay for it, right. And I think that, that's the issue where in Canada, just one example I have is, is say, U-Sports, the, the highest level indoor volleyball in Canada, and every year somebody complains that they have to pay for the live stream to watch it, where even I kind of hum and hum, like, is it really worth it? And I'm, I'm obviously a person who's making their living off of volleyball, and yeah. if I'm humming it high, what, what is the average fan? So uh, I just put that on the table because I think that's something we're going to try to solve with this podcast if we're the ones who solve it, or at least contribute to it. Or at least get people thinking, but I think the volleyball model is a little bit broken where we live in this country where even junior A hockey, credit to the London Knights, love 9,000 people go watch a home game. Every all game. paying like $20 or more, but we can't get people to pay for volleyball and, and we all agree it's a great sport, it's entertaining, the players deserve it, but we haven't figured out a way to generate revenue to make, you're a perfect example, you go to an international tournament and you earned $100. For a top 10 finish. I think the issue at hand too is, is there there are certain things that the organizations and the federations are trying to do. The FIVB does have a service called BeachStream, which broadcasts the major series. The problem with that is all these tournaments are getting cancelled, that a subscription to the BeachStream really only gets you maybe two or three, four if you include the World Championships this year tournaments. Nobody wants to pay a monthly fee every month for tournaments that happen very rarely, right? And another insider information here is betting websites are, are usually the only websites available online where you can watch beach volleyball. 
Bet365 has has cameras on every beach volleyball match for the most part, and and guys will put little like you know five ten dollars in their account and bet pennies to watch games, but that's not that's not really watching, right? That's watching because you're interested. That's not growing the game. That's not helping the players. I was even shocked in my own role with the national team about trying to find live updates of how it's our hard. teams are doing. They're this is sad, but the most reliable sites are just Googling like the live score, and it'll take you to a gambling site, and that has more up-to-date scores than the FIB does. And, and again, I think that comes down to money, where obviously in, in Asia or Europe, there's people betting on these games, so they're sending staff to be on the clicker and just update the scores. So when I was following, say, Grabowski Whelan about updating them and prepping them for their next match, yeah, it was a gambling site that let me know if they were winning or if, who they're going to play in the next round, and that, that's the state of our sport right now. Sponsors. 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 Yeah, we just, just need we just more sponsors. gotta get more sponsors, I guess. Um, so I think that wraps up the star system where not a perfect system. It's good that there's this amount of events and it kind of tears it where there is an entry point for teams to kind of climb the ladder and build through. But until we figure out this five-star system and the players can actually start playing for a living and the people at the one, two, and three stars are also earning a living, if that makes sense, because... I feel like tennis and golf are also tiered, but the, the second tier is still, they're, they're still grinding and there's still a light at the end of the tunnel where if you're a career one-star player, I'm, I'm not sure how you do without a lot of sponsors or national funding, or maybe you live in a good location that it's accessible to get to a lot of these countries. If you're a Canadian playing one-stars for a living, you are going into debt. You're not living. And you know what? That's a good point you raise. Like if you look at golf as the, as the model, the web.com tour, which is... We'll call it the minor league system of the PGA Tour. Guys who are playing on that are able to support themselves, but they can also support their families, right? So that's their job. Their job is a minor league golf player. Even in the baseball system, AA, AAA players can make a decent living and not necessarily be in the major leagues. Um, I'm glad you said AAA because if you're in single A, you're, you're a starving artist. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, hockey, if you're in the AHL, you're making a living. Yeah, even in the ECHL, they have ways of... Because I have friends in the ECHL, they they pay your board, they pay your food, and, and they give you a, a salary because you're still under the uh, Professional Hockey Players Association. You know, you're in the third division in, in North America playing hockey for a living. You're still able to make a living. I mean, some of those guys have kids and, and wives and families, and, and they make it work, but... Uh, you know, it, it's really hard for beach volleyball players specifically to make a living solely playing beach volleyball. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out on the show. We're going to figure out what the value add is. We're going to start generating some revenue. I hear Dallas they, is coming out of retirement. Oh, yeah. I hear all they have to do is start their own podcast. That's where the real dollars are made. Ooh, that internet money. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a good way for us to finish it today. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, be sure to subscribe to us on... Uh, Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Hi, Mom. Bye, Mom.